So I'm continuing my messages about vital relationships. Just wondered, uh, last week I talked a little bit about uh, doing a uh, Bible reading challenge. I don't know, did everybody get one last week in their bulletin? How are you doing on that? In, doing okay? <laughs> doing okay. Um, uh, there are some extras out in the lobby if anybody needs to pick one up. Uh, we're doing this through the month of January. Um, and I'm also putting them on Facebook. If you can't find your list and you're on Facebook, I'm glad you can look there. What's that? Oh, yes, you got to like the church or baseline church in order to get that in your feed. You can just go directly to the page, too, if, if you want to do that. So, anyways. And um, also, there should be some message notes in your bulletin if you want to pull those out and follow along. I usually forget to say that, so. So, my message is on vital relationships came out of a couple of different uh, moments with a couple of my family members. And so kind of bear with me here. Uh, the first conversation was with my oldest grandson surrounding facts about cor coral reefs. I'm almost embarrassed to even admit this. Um, did you know that corals are living animals? Yeah, yeah. oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm 60 years old. I always thought that coral was like a rock in the ocean. <laughs> So I'm embarrassed, but uh, it, they're often called, um, these coral reefs are often called the rainforests of the sea, and the uh, corals are, of course, living creatures, as I said. Now I'm all flustered, sorry. Um, so what follows is a kind of a combination of my conversation with my grandson, who loves rocks and dinosaurs and hockey, and he's going to turn 10 this week. Um, I sometimes think now my grandsons are getting a lot smarter than me, so I have to really be be on it and researching stuff, so, or else I just say, why don't you go ask your parents? <laughs> so, um, anyway, so coral reefs are diverse underwater ecosystems held together by calcium carbonate structures secreted by the corals. Um, corals are marine invertebrates. They don't have a backbone or a spine, and they're tiny organisms which they call polyps that attach themselves to the hard reef and they cluster together in groups known as stony corals. Corals are closely related to sea anemones and jellyfish, and there are a variety of colors, like white and red and pink and green and blue and orange and purple. And I thought of my granddaughter, Emma, who will sing the uh, rainbow song for you when you say all the colors. So, um, But anyways, as polyps die, they become hard, and new polyps grow on top of them, causing the reef to grow. Now, I did know that in the coral reef there are sea urchins and sponges and fish and sharks and so on. And there's like a lot of different plant life, such as seagrass and seaweed and algae. I, I, I did know that. <laughs> um, but the coral reef ecosystem, these living communities, are important because they protect land from harsh weather by absorbing the impact from strong waves and storms. They protect the coastland from erosion, just like our trees and the forests uh, take care of our land. Um, they remove and recycle carbon dioxide, and they provide food for us. And we learned from the coral reefs about biomes, naturally occurring communities, and the interrelationship between organisms and their environments. So see, I'm getting, I'm getting here to the relationships. So. But coral reef communities, they grow very slowly, and they're fragile. 
They're sensitive to water temperature, and they're under threat from pollution and overuse of the reef resources. Now I have a second conversation, which is even better, <laughs> um, that reminded me of relationships. Um, it was kind of an odd conversation that I had with Doug. <laughs> um, it was odd because I made it odd, like I usually do, while we were on vacation up north this past fall surrounding the International Bridge that crosses St. Mary's River uh, from Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan over to Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, uh, and the movie An American Tale. Does everybody know American Tale? I mean, if, yes, <laughs> thank you. Because <laughs> if you grew up like in the mid-80s or if you had children in uh, the mid-80s or whatever, typically you know who Ivel Mouskowitz is and his family and cats and streets paved with cheese. And that might be a whole nother message. But uh, Doug said, look at all those cars waiting to get into America. And so I immediately started singing the song there are no cats in America. And does anybody know that one? And the streets are made, made of cheese. Oh, there are no cats in America, so set your mind at ease. And I have been humming that all week, so. Um, I share this moment because, and for those of you who weren't here last week, I talked about my involvement in a situation that kind of left me doubting my abilities. I was intentionally at that time evaluating where I was in my relationship with God and during the conversation, I thought about how God brings unlikely people together and how he is our wonderful counselor in all of our relationships. No two relationships are the same. We have relationships that are simple, based on honesty and respect, and there are some relationships that have so much drama and anguish that the people involved are emotionally broken and hurt. And like the coral reefs I mentioned earlier, our biomes our communities where we live and work together, creating these relationships can also be fragile. If we're trying to make these relationships work on our own, it can be pretty messy. God is our wonderful counselor, and leaving him out of our lives, leaving him out of our relationships is very risky. In the Old Testament, Isaiah calls the Messiah wonderful counselor. In chapter 9, verse 6, uh, the word wonderful is not used like we use it today. Have a wonderful day, or wasn't that a wonderful movie? In the passage, wonderful means incomprehensible. That's a big word. Uh, to separate, to distinguish, or to make great. So rather than being part of the ordinary course of events, our Messiah causes us to be full of wonder and admiration and full of amazement. The word counselor depicts a wise king. It denotes someone of honorable rank who is suited to advise important leaders with great wisdom and has qualifications to guide and direct mankind. In John 1, 4, and 5, it tells us the word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. When we walk by ourselves, we're probably going to stumble. But this verse is saying that Jesus is the light, that our knowledge of a God, our spiritual truth, every absolute thing we know is in Jesus. The only safe place to be is near God, because not only does he know what's best for us, he will provide it if we continually seek him. And that includes our relationships. Last week I talked about nurturing our relationship with God on a personal level, one-on-one. -on -one. 
This week I'm going to talk about nurturing our personal relationships through God, our wonderful counselor. The way we view God, knowing who God is, will impact every relationship in our lives. Now, do you ever wonder to what extent God thinks about our relationships with others? Does that ever cross your mind? God is a relational God. He lives in perfect harmony in a perfect community within the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He thinks a lot about our relationships, and if you think about it, God created social networking way before it was cool. Uh, Genesis tells us that God creates the earth and everything on it, or he created the earth and everything on it and around it, and he creates man to enjoy it, to work it, and to take care of it. That's a relationship between God, man, and nature. Then in Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And it's here we see God's concern for Adam and a relationship that will, be, that will bring mutual support and companionship. Think about other relationships in the Bible. We see family relationships, good and bad. For example, take Jacob and his sons in Genesis 37. Uh, Jacob's youngest son, Joseph, was hated by his brothers for being the favorite. He had a dream about how the rest of the family was going to bow down to him, and that made his brothers hate him even more. One day, Jacob sent Joseph to check on his brothers. They took the opportunity to throw him in a cistern and then sold him into slavery, telling their father that Joseph had been killed by an animal. In 1 Samuel 18, we see a friendship between David and Jonathan, King Saul's son. Their relationship had qualities of genuine friendship. In verse 4, Jonathan gave David his military attire because he recognized that David would be king of Israel. Jonathan sacrificed his right to the throne to be obedient to God. Um, in 1 Samuel 19, verses 1 through 3, we see Jonathan's loyalty to David. His father, King Saul, told his men to kill David, and Jonathan admonished Saul, reminding him of David's faithfulness in killing Goliath. And then in 1 Samuel 20, we read of Jonathan's plan to reveal Saul's plot for David that saved David from death. And then one, one last example in the Old Testament, the book of Hosea, we see not only a relationship between a man and a wife, but also the relationship of God and a nation. God wanted Israel to know how he felt about their sinful behavior and idol worship. He told Hosea to marry an unfaithful woman, and she bore him children, two of whom he wasn't even sure were his, whose names were Jezreel, which means judgment, or God plants, Lo Ruhama, which means no more mercy, and Lo Ami, not my people. These names uh, are related to God's relationship with these Israel at the time. Hosea's wife was not faithful, and she left Hosea, which caused him pain. God compared this pain to the torment he felt when Israel left him and worshipped idols. Over and over again, we're reminded of the covenant God entered into with Israel way back at Mount Sinai, where he offered them this incredible opportunity for an intimate relationship with him. And just as he has this vast love for Israel, he loves us too. He wants a relationship with us, and he wants all of our relationships to bring us joy. When our relationship with our wonderful counselor is firm and sure, then we are able to better evaluate our personal relationships with others. A few weeks ago in her series, First Things First, Pastor Peggy said, above everything else, 
we're to love God first and best and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others. Last week, I mentioned that Jesus consistently and earnestly prayed to God, and it was his attitude and prayer that united one of his basic values that he lived by, which we find in John 5, 19. And this is our focus verse, so let's read it together. Uh, John 5, 19, so Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. John 5, 19. So Jesus was and is all about relationships. He reflected his Father in everything he did. He set a perfect example for his group of 12 and the people he came in contact with during his life. He understood the importance of relationships. He built a personal relationship with each member of his group. He understood the importance of community to help keep one another accountable, and he practiced forward momentum by preparing and being intentional with his small group to make disciples. Now, if we are continually to seek God, including going to him about our relationships, how should we nurture our personal relationships the way God does? So the first one is be intentional with your time with others. You know, Jesus is our wonderful counselor. We see that in his relationship with his disciples. For three years, Jesus and his disciples lived together. Jesus showed them everything he did. They heard his prayers, they saw him minister, they listened as he applied scripture, and they watched him respond to adversity. Throughout the New Testament, we see that when Jesus was with his disciples, he gave them his complete attention. And even after the crucifixion, Jesus made sure that he was intentional with his disciples. Uh, beginning in Matthew 28, verse 10, Jesus meets the women who had seen the empty tomb and, he, and had spoken to the angel, and they were on their way to tell the disciples what they had seen. Jesus tells them to tell the disciples to meet him in Galilee. In Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16, it says, then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciple, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. After spending three intense years with his disciples, as Jesus and his disciples stood on a mountain, as Jesus was about to ascend into heaven, he knew he had prepared them for that very time. Jesus told them to go make disciples of all nations and commanded them to do exactly what he had intentionally prepared them for over the last three years. The disciples would now become the teachers. We learn here that the time we spend with our friends and family should be purposeful, intentional, and uninterrupted. And if I, if I could add, it should also be fun. I like to have fun, so. But, but anyway, so put your phones down, the dishes can wait, that unfinished book isn't going anywhere, and ask yourself, does my time with others reflect how God has called me to use that time? Now, the next way uh, to nurture our relationship, as God does, is to practice encouragement. 
Encouragement is emphasized in the Bible, I believe, because encouraging someone allows us to speak truth into their life. Think about who needs encouragement and give them hope or confidence based on where you see faithfulness and fruit of the Spirit as the author of Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25 calls us to do. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We find God's promise of hope and encouragement in John 10.10, 10, where Jesus says, The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. In John 13, verses 34 through 35, Jesus encourages his disciples, and aren't we all his disciples, with a new commandment. Remember, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave the world and return to his Father. And he loved his disciples from the moment he met them until the very end and wanted them to know it. He acknowledges his coming death and prepares his disciples for it and for their future. He says, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And then he encourages them in John chapter 16, verse 33, saying, I have told you all this so you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. God's word calls us to encourage one another and remind each other of his truth. Encouragement brings us love and hope. It helps us through difficult times, and it nurtures patience and kindness. You know, I talked about last night with some of my, or last week, about some of my struggles that I've had this past year. Uh, when I was struggling, struggling last year and doubting my abilities, my family, Pastor Peggy, Sue and Paul Wing, uh, Abby, Linda Timmons, they prayed for me, they encouraged me, um, and they made a huge impact on my emotional well-being and healing. Sorry. So a third way to nurture our, our personal relationships is to communicate expectations and forgiveness, and I want you to circle that one. Communicate expectations and forgiveness. Um, it's important to communicate these expectations and forgiveness in a relationship, and I have a great example. I've been retired almost, I think, four years. Well, when I retired, I had this expectation that Doug and I were going to travel a lot. While I was working, I had uh, been able to do much traveling because uh, it was hard for us to get away for more than a week at a time, so typically we would stay at home. We'd stay home and do our vacations. The thing is, I never, never communicated this expectation of mine to Doug. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, we travel, but not to the extent I envisioned all those years. When I was working and heard stories from friends about their extensive travel, I'd say to myself, when I retire, I said to myself, not to Doug, to myself. <laughs> um, recently, I read an article called the silent marriage killer that's more deadly than sex and money. It's said that the reason marriages end in divorce is because of one thing, unmet expectations. Now with that said, Doug and I are not getting a divorce over my traveling expectations. Um, uh -huh. uh, we communicate pretty well, and I know I missed the boat. 
excuse the traveling pun on that one. How would Doug know if I didn't tell him? I don't believe my husband should be able to read my mind, but you can see how this situation could have turned out very differently if Doug and I weren't trusting our wonderful counselor for our relationship. But don't talk to Joshua about our relationship. He and his brothers have maybe a different idea of what we look like. <laughs> um, so. Anyways, I, I want to add that the article went on to say that unmet expectations not only cause pain and frustration in marriage, but in all relationships. It called unmet expectations a life problem. And the people of Jesus' day had a life problem because they were expecting a Messiah that was a warrior, someone that would free them from Rome's oppression. And the Romans' cruel use of power and brutal domination caused the people's expectation of a Messiah to be one that would establish God's kingdom physically on earth with Jerusalem at its center. In Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30, and Luke 19, 11 through 27, we read that Jesus wanted to be, or wanted to prepare the people that he was not going to be king immediately, as many of them thought he would. He would have to go to the cross first, then back to heaven before returning one day. But in his absence, and until his return, he leaves us with valuable treasures, the gift of his righteousness and the blessings that accompany it, which we can all receive by grace through faith. When Jesus did not fulfill the people's expectations, they were very angry and frustrated enough to support his cruel, brutal Roman death. And here's where forgiveness comes in. If Jesus forgave the people who yelled, crucify, crucify him, and then murdered him, I believe we can forgive our family and friends when we have unmet expectations or when they hold wrong expectations of us. Now a last way, a fourth way to nurture our personal relationships is to be kind to yourself. You know, you, you ask, how does that have anything to do with nurturing our personal relationships? I mentioned earlier that for three years Jesus showed his disciples everything he did including watching him respond to adversity. Jesus knew exactly what to do when facing adversity. In Matthew 13, uh, verses 57 through 58, we read that Jesus was rejected by his own hometown, people he had known and had grown up with, people he thought he knew. And then immediately after that, we read in Matthew 14, verses 1 through 12, how Jesus hears the news of the brutal death of John the Baptist, his friend, kinsmen. In verse 13 it says, as soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. The commentaries that I read say that Jesus went to a place of safety to avoid Herod, but not because he was afraid to die, but that his time had not yet come. I believe he was God, but he was also man and had all the emotions, all the feelings that a human would have. So I wonder did he also have to grieve his rejection by his hometown, and was he grieving John's death, his kinsman? And if you remember, John was the babe that leapt in his mother Elizabeth's womb in response to the sound of Jesus' mother's voice. Uh, he was the prophet who came before uh, Jesus to prepare the way. He was the man that at Jesus' request had baptized Jesus. So I think there was a very close relationship with him. Jesus knew the importance of fortifying his mind against trials and persecutions that were abundant during his ministry. 
He spent hours in quiet time with the Father in prayer, building up and renewing his mind so that he'd be able to respond to the need, uh, to their needs. Jesus didn't discount his need for his Father's attention, so don't discount your own feelings. We can experience a time of, of, of refreshing by quieting our hearts in a devotional time of prayer and worship and Bible reading. And when we spend time alone with the Lord, we can experience his peace and joy, which renews us in spirit. And when we're in tune with our wonderful counselor, we're better equipped to be intentional, encouraging, and forgiving in our relationships. Now, I do have to maybe add a little disclaimer there. When Jesus got to, the, got to land and he stepped out, um, he did see the people had followed him, and, they, and he had compassion on them, and so he continued his ministering and his healing. But I think his intention was to, to go and have some quiet time with his father. So, um, As I uh, close, I want to remind you that in the next few weeks, We'll start small groups. And one of the many things that I've enjoyed since Pastor Peggy began her pastorate here are the small groups and the relationships that they build. Um, I would encourage you to participate. It's in these small groups that spiritual growth happens. There's a different level of intimacy um, than what we find in larger groups. And it's, it's a little harder to share our struggles when we're in the, in the bigger groups. Uh, friendships deepen, and we're more comfortable in keeping one another accountable. In his article, Five Ways to Have Transformational Small Groups, Rick Warren says, on the weekends, people come together and experience God's powerful presence. They hear teaching from the pulpit and serve others within the life of the church. But it's during the week, in small groups, that people find themselves in the kinds of relationships that help them stick to the church and to keep on growing spiritually and experiencing transformation long-term. So building relationships, building our community, like those little corals I mentioned earlier, requires a commitment to bring intentional, encouraging, and forgiving into our relationships. Those little polyps don't give up. They're committed. They die right on that reef, and then they become a hard foundation, allowing new polyps to grow on top of them, causing the reef to grow and allowing their community to expand. We expand our community as we build relationships with others and with God through our relationship with Jesus Christ. God calls us to relationships of love, and when our relationship with God, our wonderful counselor, comes first, we'll find joy in all of our other relationships. Um, will you pray with me? What I'd like to do is pray the covenant prayer that's found in your hymnal on page 607, and I'd like to read that in unison together. It'll also be up here on the screen if you need that. So, I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee or laid aside for thee. Exalted for thee or brought low by thee. Let me be full, let me be empty, let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine and I am thine. So be it, 
and the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. If the ushers would come forward, please.